Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Have you noticed that today is the first Sunday of December? Yeah, you probably have. I mean, we were talking about happy birthdays for Megan and Dan and Mark. That they're December. They were a Christmas present to their parents, right? And, and uh, so we're, we're happy about that. Well, at least Megan and Mark were. No, Dan was too. He was a Christmas present to his mom and dad. And, and uh, we get kind of... Uh, convoluted a little bit at Christmas. You can turn to Psalm 73, we'll be reading there in just a moment, but the, the dangers, one of the dangers of the Christmas season is that we get caught up in the Christmas season. We get so focused on giving gifts that we minimize his gift. And Christmas can become a celebration of materialism and capitalism instead of a celebration and a recognition of God's eternal love and our great salvation through Jesus Christ. We can get caught up in the season. Christmas is often a time of coveting what others have and, and greed to have uh, the most and the best for yourselves. I remember as a kid opening a present and I'd see what my brother got and thought, oh, I hope I get something better than that. Or, you know, I'd open mine and think, oh, I hope theirs isn't as nice as mine. I wasn't the nicest brother, the nicest kid. Uh, but some adults are that way. I watch on TV, they have commercials about the people they buy each other a truck or a car for Christmas. And, uh, you know, Kathy's never bought me a car for Christmas. <laughs> Uh, my son Nathan did once. It was about this big. Uh, but, you know, we, we don't, we can get caught up in the materialism of it. We can get caught up in supporting our economy by buying like crazy at Christmas. Well, close to 3,000 years ago, there was a man named Asaph, and I don't know if he really looked like that or not. That's just a picture that I could come up with. Asaph wrote songs and he led choirs in Israel. Today, this evening, this afternoon, we're gonna have two different choirs, the adult ensemble and the kids choir, each practicing. Uh, Asaph led a choir in Israel and he lived more than 800 years before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. So he never experienced the Christmas shopping season. He did experience the longing for more and better that often overwhelms us at Christmas. He had the frustration of enduring suffering while watching other people who weren't following God have abundance and more. Asaph served when David was king and also during the reign of King Solomon. However, I mean, sometimes he led choirs to sing music that was written by David, sometimes music written by Korah or others, and sometimes, like in today's psalm, he wrote it himself. He composed the lyrics, he composed the music. We don't have the music because that wasn't written out for us, but we do have the lyrics that he wrote. Well, we have the English translation of the Hebrew words that he wrote. And Asaph writes a song about his frustration. 
but the ungodly seemed to thrive while the people of God were struggling. Life wasn't fair back then, and life's not fair today. But on this occasion, Asaph explains how he overcame his own difficulties, his own doubts, his own discouragement. This was not just a, a doom and despair song. This was a song of praise to God. And so we can kind of summarize Asaph's turning point in this song in just six words. Don't just look around, look ahead. In the busyness of your holiday season, don't just look around at what's going on around you. Look ahead to what is ahead. Lift your eyes away from the humdrum of our daily lives, but focus on what God has for us in the future. So look at Psalm 73 and follow along with me as I read. It says, a Psalm of Asaph. He starts out with the conclusion. He begins with the end. He doesn't want to leave you hanging. He wants you to understand he figured it out. So his conclusion is, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But then verse 2 begins with the word but. But as for me, he's going back. Now, yes, God is good. Yes, I know it. But for a while there, I struggled with it. So he says in verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled or slept. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his, God's people, return here and the waters of a full cup are drained by them. And God's people say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. If he tried to talk about it with other people, he would discourage them and frustrate them as well. Verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Pause right there. We'll eventually get to the second part of his conclusion, but let's stop right there. Uh, in the Asaph wanted his readers to understand the difficulty that he had overcome, but he also wanted them to understand this was a real and serious difficulty. This past year, I went through a medical condition that got worse and worse and worse, and eventually got so bad, it was nearly life-threatening, and fortunately, I was able to get the surgery uh, right before it would have been an emergency <coughs> surgery. Uh, so I was able to have it and respond to it. Uh, but just because we get over things doesn't mean that it was easy. 
Some of you are grieving because of loved one you've lost. And to be honest with you, I always miss my mom at Christmas. My mom loved Christmas. She loved Christmas music, Christmas decorations. She made awesome Christmas cookies and Christmas pie. I love Christmas with my mom, and I, and I miss her. She's been gone a long time. But just the other day, I told Kathy, there was something, I don't remember what it was, but I said, oh, man, I got to tell mom. And I said, I can't tell mom. She's been dead 10 years. Um, I, I can't tell mom. By the time I get to heaven, I won't even know what it, I don't even remember what it was right now. Uh, but you know what? God is getting you through the difficult times of life. And what we know is life on earth hurts. Some days it hurts a lot. But we get past the pain. We get through the pain. We get on with the pain. In verse 2, he said, I had nearly given in. I had nearly given up. He said, I, I was stumbling. I could hardly keep my feet going one in front of the other. And then in verse 3, he talks about the prosperity of the wicked, the prosperity among the proud and their boastfulness. And he said this was just disheartening to him. And so the first thing that I want you to see as Asaph writes it for us is that ungodly don't seem to suffer as much as the righteous. Ungodly people don't seem to suffer as much. And, and Asaph says in verse 4, in their death, you know, I think he was thinking, you know, if they could just get through life and, and it was okay, he could tolerate that. But he wanted them, when they came down to die, he kind of wanted them to really suffer to realize the error of their ways and to die weeping instead of they they live in harmony they live, we have had atheists who ranted and raved against god and they die as heroes in our culture they die heralded and supported and their final words are duplicated and and it looks like their values really panned out because we can't see what happens immediately the other side of death. The Bible describes it for us. Jesus told a story about it. Two men died, one who was a believer and one who was not, and the non-believer went immediately to be in hell and torment, and the believer went immediately to paradise with God's people. But we don't get to see that in this life. And so Asaph, you know, he was frustrated. He was discouraged by all this. And then in verse 5, they're not in trouble as other men. It, it, it's in life's difficulty. It's like they have a get-out-of-trouble-free card in life, not just monopoly. They, they get out of trouble free because uh, they can pay for the most expensive lawyers who can get them off. We've seen that many times in our lifetime. They can pay for the most expensive medical treatments while you're suffering along not getting the expensive medical treatment you need because your insurance company won't pay for it. And I was thinking this the other day that, you know, when I was a business manager, I made a lot more money than I do as a pastor. Uh, but I also... Kathy and I give generously to the work of the Lord. We give more than 10%. We give generously. We 
Do, well, what if we took all of that money and instead of giving to the work of the Lord through victory, what if we just spent it on ourselves? We would have more fun stuff to enjoy on earth, but we would lose out. We would have less blessing of God in our daily lives. And so I, I listened to this one preacher and he said, when you look at the ungodly people flourishing, don't begrudge them a little bit of joy for a little bit of time on earth because they're going to suffer for a long, long time. So we need to just change our perspective and Asaph did that. In verse 6 he said, they're proud and boastful. Boastful, they often get away with violence. We have in our court system a history of people getting away with violent acts because they can pay for most expensive lawyers and sometimes because they pay to eliminate the threats against them. So the witnesses who are going to testify against them disappear or die, and they can no longer testify. And it feels like the ungodly are thriving. They're not. It's temporary. But secondly, ungodly people seem to prosper more than the righteous. They seem to prosper more than the righteous. Uh, I know some Christians who are very wealthy. In fact, Kathy and I had a, a couple that we knew in Texas, and he was at that time worth three quarters of a billion dollars. That's the, the richest guy I personally knew, but I've been close friends with several multimillionaires. But ungodly people seem to flourish. Uh, many of the billionaires in our world are people who don't follow God. Uh, and why is that? Well, Asaph struggles with that. He says in verse 7, their eyes, bold with their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. I, years ago, I watched a special, and it was on a grocery store for the extremely rich and wealthy in Beverly Hills. And they had brass shopping carts and on each shopping cart, before the, the cell phones were a big thing, they had phones, uh, cellular phones, the brick kind, on each shopping cart so the person could call the, the house and make sure they were getting the right stuff. And they had escorts, so you didn't even have to push your cart. You just walked along, and there was this person pushing her cart for you. You know, Tuscany could have got a job pushing carts for rich people <laughs> in the grocery store. And, and just, they're doing that. They're walking through, and, and everything, just ridiculous stuff. And I don't know how much the groceries cost, but I'm pretty sure it's a whole lot more than Walmart or fries. Uh, but you know what? They had so much. They didn't even realize how much they were wasting and missing out on. Uh, when you invest in eternal things, they're such a rich blessing. I mean, Jeff and Sherry have helped a missionary in Chad, right? And Chad, and they have helped personally support him. Kathy and I have helped uh, support the Rices. Our church supports them as well, Pete and Annette Rice. And, and they travel around the world, they preach, and people get saved, and, and we have a part in that because we're giving to that. And our church is supporting a bunch of missionaries back there. Uh, well, could we do more with our church, more fun stuff, if we didn't support the missionaries? Theoretically, we could, but it would be the wrong stuff. 
We, we need to be doing what we're doing. And so they have abundance. They, they have more than heart could wish. They have more money than they can reasonably spend in their lifetime. Verse 8, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Uh, they brag about their own conquests and about pulling other people down. In verse 9, they set their mouth against the heavens. They, they even mock God. And in verse 12, he says it's ungodly people who are often thriving on earth. They're, they're always at ease. They increase in riches. Back to verse 10, God's people have so little. I read a story about a Christian in China, a historical record, and all the suffering that he went through for Christ. And they have so little sometimes. And the waters of a full cup, as verse 10 says, uh, you remember when Jesus was praying in the garden uh, of Gethsemane and he prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It's like the cup of God's wrath, the, the cup of difficulty. And that's what Asaph's writing about here. The full cup is like poured out, wrung out on these people. And the, the ungodly, they're not experiencing the suffering. God's allowing his people to go through greater hardship. And so there's difficulties. At four o'clock or five o'clock service today, we're going to talk a little bit about how God equips us and uses us in the difficulties and how we grow because of it. Um, but then verse 11, God's people may wonder, is God even paying attention? Uh, is there knowledge among the most in the most high that does God know what's going on? And and we realize Asaph's questioning this, and he's also questioning his own questioning. He said, does God know? He knows God knows. He knows who God is. But he's feeling like God doesn't know. God's not paying attention. But he knows God is. So he's wrestling not only with God and not only with the circumstances, but he's wrestling with himself as well. And now, the third thing, ungodly people don't seem to suffer as much as the righteous and they seem to thrive more than the righteous sometimes and some days it doesn't seem worth it to follow God or play by his rules some days it doesn't years ago when Kathy and I were in Bible college we uh, wanted to do a fundraiser and we did a cassette. You remember those things? Cassette tape. Uh, uh, we, we thought it was really cool stuff because eight tracks were going away. And so we had this cassette. We made a cassette that was all the senior class. Well, not all the senior class because I wasn't included. Uh, but all, a lot of the seniors who had good voices, they were singing and we made a special cassette. Now, according to the law, what we had to do is get permission from all of the writers of the music and the songs so that we could actually sell that cassette as a fundraiser. And uh, we wanted to do that as a way to raise funds for something special for the senior class. And I don't remember what the special thing we were doing, but, but I remember the process we went through. It was a lot of work to track down those songs and get permission 
And we had several people from the college and from churches tell us, don't worry about it. Nobody pays attention to that. But the law is very specific. You cannot do it. It's illegal. And so we did it the legal way. And it took lots of extra work. And it would have been so much easier to do it differently. But God says, don't ignore the laws of the land. We can violate the laws of the land when the laws of the land violate the laws of God. That's when we say, like the apostles, I choose to obey God rather than man. But we can't ignore the laws of the land. We can work to change them, but we can't ignore them. And so we followed the rules of copyright law, and it was a lot of work and a lot of labor, and we ended up getting it. And by the time we were done, I think only one of them required us to pay any substantial amount. And then, uh, so we ended up not making as much money as we wanted to on the project. Uh, but, you know, some days it doesn't feel like following God really pays off. I've known Christian businessmen who say, this is the real world. This is the dog-eat-dog -dog world. And it's, it's as if God's rules apply on Sunday, but not on Monday or Wednesday. And so they ignore God's rules while they're at work because that's how the business world works. Now, actually, God's rules are supposed to be applied all the time. And they do pay off. But Asaph said, sometimes it feels like they don't. Like he says in verse 13, Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. Why did I even bother? It's not paying off. In verse 14, All day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. Every day brings a new source of discouragement and frustration. Uh, and life gets more complicated and gets more difficult. While the ungodly get more abundance... We who follow the straight and narrow path face more difficulties. Verse 15, he talks, I can't even talk about it. If I talk to other people about it, I will discourage them. And then I'll be hindering what God's doing in their life. So I can't talk about it. And then in verse 16, he kind of says, I'm going nuts here. How many of you have ever felt like you were going nuts? Come on, raise your hands. I know some of you, you have been. You know, the truth is, we all feel that way sometimes. Like, I'm not going to make it through this. I can't think this anymore. I'm, I'm just stuck. And that's where Asaph was. And he said he was going crazy about it. It was too painful even to think about. But then something happens in verse 17. What happens? Asaph said he went to the house of God. Now, Asaph now shifts his focus. He shifts his focus. He's looking above and beyond the daily problems of life. And he's looking ahead. I, until I went to the sanctuary of, their God, of God. Now, what was the sanctuary in David's day? It was the tabernacle. And so Asaph wrote music that was sang in the courtyards of the tabernacle. And then he was also serving under King Solomon. So Asaph might have still been serving when the temple was built. And uh, I don't know the exact dates for Asaph's life, but uh, 
the tabernacle all through the King David and the tabernacle was still used at the beginning of Solomon's reign, but then they built what's called Solomon's temple. And so uh, Asaph served during both of their reigns. So while pursuing God in the sanctuary, the temple or the tabernacle, while he was pursuing God there, then he had a change of focus, a change of perspective. He went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Now, it's not just the place that makes the difference. It's the place and what happens at the place. The purpose of the place is what makes the difference in Asaph's life. The sanctuary of God was where God's people came to meet him and they came to be instructed in his word, to be encouraged in his way. And so gatherings like this, where God's people get together to be encouraged from God's word, have been helping God's people for thousands of years. And Asa said, I went and I got my heart right with God. And I realized the end of life on earth for all those people who are flourishing and thriving without God, their end is horrible. Horrific, terrible, extremely painful. So he says in verse 18, they have sudden and complete destruction. You've set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Uh, they're going to just fall and it's going to happen quickly. Now, sometimes we have quick moments that radically change our lives. Sometimes it's a long, slow slog. That's my health issues earlier this year. That was a long, slow slog. But a few years ago, on one day, I went from being able to walk and even jog a little bit and, and uh, have no trouble with it to where I could barely walk and needed a walker and a wheelchair because I broke my knee in one moment, one day. And, uh, but sometimes, there's this long, slow process. But for these people who thrive without God, who flourish in life, who get all the way to the end of their life on earth, and everything seems like it's okay, it, it's maybe even good, and they get to that end, and then suddenly, it's not. Like the extremely rich man in the story Jesus told in Luke. He died. And he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. He went from flourishing to suffering instantly. There was no middle ground. Purgatory is never taught in Scripture. It's not a biblical idea. When you die without Christ, you go straight to hell. When you die in Christ, you go straight to heaven. And there's no middle ground. The Bible's very clear. So uh, he says, suddenly you've set them on a place, a slippery place to destruction. They're going down and they're not coming back up. So he says in verse 20, as a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Now, when he talks about God being awake, the scriptures say the Lord neither sleeps nor slumbers. God does not sleep. But when they use that terminology, it's like when God now takes action. That's what they meant by using that phrase. That was the way they would talk about it. Uh, like if your kids are asleep, 
you can go in and you can tell them to do something, and then if they don't do it, they can be in trouble for it, but they wouldn't have known what you wanted them to do. They were asleep. But if they're awake and you talk to them and you tell them to do something, they're supposed to do it or get in trouble. And so now they can take action. And so God's not sleeping. But when it uses that phrase, it's like when God takes action. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. He says, when you take action, Lord, you shall despise their image. Verse 20. And so he realizes the end of life on earth. And so now Asaph says, you know what? I've been kind of dumb. So after he shifts his focus, now he realigns his heart. In verse 21, and instead of being frustrated by the unfair circumstances of life on earth, he's now frustrated by his own lack of spiritual understanding. He says in verse 21, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He's writing this to God as if he's having a conversation with God. And he says, now I'm so frustrated with myself, with my doubts, with my problems. And like an animal, instead of thinking and acting like a person created in the image of God and a person who'd been brought into God's family, I was acting like an ox. I was acting like uh, an animal that doesn't have the capacity to think beyond daily life. And then he talks about his praise of God and his hope in God. So he says in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Now holding somebody by their right hand, that was a special thing. No, no offense to the lefties, but when it talks about being on God's right hand, that's the place of blessing. In fact, if you go and you have dinner with the president and the president's sitting at the head of the table, then the person he wants to honor the most is the one sitting at his right hand. And then the next person he wants to honor most is sitting at his left hand. And that's the structure that we do, and that's what they did here, and that's what he's talking about. He's saying, God's grabbing my right hand. Now, he's talking about his blessing in God. Now, remember, where was Asaph? Asaph was doubting God. Right? He was saying, is it worth it? Now, look what he says about God in verse 21. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. So where was God in relation to Asaph when Asaph was doubting? He was right there with him figuratively, emotionally, holding his right hand. Where was God when Asaph's praising him? He's right there with him. Where was God when Asaph was, was feeling like, I can't stand life on earth because it's so unfair. God was right there with him. God doesn't leave you. God doesn't abandon you. Now, your parents could abandon you. My younger brother was adopted. And uh, when he was adopted, uh, my parents had to go to court and they had to testify in court uh, and they had to swear that they would take care of this kid. They committed to it. Now, the way the system worked, my dad could have gotten rid of his other boys. Dad could have taken us to the courthouse, turned us in and said, I don't want him anymore. 
and there were a couple of times he maybe thought about it. Uh, but, but with my younger brother, he couldn't do that because he had stood in court and said, I will accept my responsibilities. So until my younger brother got to the age of 18, dad had no recourse but to keep him and take care of him. He couldn't ship him off to military school like he threatened to do to me a few times. He couldn't do any of those things. And he couldn't abandon his parental rights because he had sworn to uphold them in a court of law. Now with us kids, he could have abandoned his parental rights. So you know, God never abandons his parental rights. God always accepts you, always is with you. God's always waiting. And if you can't feel his touch, figuratively speaking, in your right hand, it's because you're not paying attention. God's there. And God's with you. And God's waiting for you to do what Asaph did, refocus your mind and then realign your heart. He wants you to get on board with him. Shift your focus, realign your heart, and that's what God wants you to do. So God's with you all the time. So yes, believers can go through really difficult times on earth, but we don't go through them alone, ever. He's with us. So then he says in verse 24, you will guide me by your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. That's one of the things we're doing today. We're looking at God's word. We're getting guidance from God's counsel from his word. We're learning and growing and being, and being encouraged. And then after, when life is over at the end of life and maybe you're on your feet and you die of a heart attack and you fall down and you're dead before you hit the ground, you know what else happens before you hit the ground? You're in the presence of Jesus before you hit the ground. I have been in the presence of people when they died. And sometimes I've been by myself. Uh, sometimes I've been with other people. Uh, when my mom died, my wife was there, most of my siblings were there. We were all in the room with mom when she died. And she let out her last breath. And before she could be pronounced dead, she was already in the presence of the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Boom. Instant. And so we know that he said, you receive me to glory. And you know what? When I'm in heaven and when you're in heaven, you're not going to worry about the fact that some other kid got a better job than you or somebody who cheated at work got promoted and you missed out. You're not going to worry that somebody else bought a car that was more uh, uh, had longer lasting value than your car. You're not going to worry about the quality of your house versus their house, your clothes versus their clothes, uh, your hair follicles versus their hair follicles. You're not going to worry about any of that. You're going to be in glory with the Lord. And so that's going to happen. And Esau said, why was I fretting over a few little moments on earth? When I know how it ends, let me use a football illustration for you, okay? Let's just say that you and your buddies are watching a tape of uh, a game. You're watching a delayed broadcast. 
and it looks like the other team comes from behind and beats your team. That's what it looks like. But somebody texts you or calls you and says, hey, don't sweat when the team goes down, they come back and win in the final seconds. And so now you're sitting with your buddies and they're all cheering for the other team and the other team takes the lead and they're all, yeah, and they're poking fun at you, you know, like guys do, right? And some girls. And, and they're poking fun at you and they're saying, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you're just like, just wait and see, man. Just wait and see. I know how it ends. That's how we are about life. I know how it ends. We win. We're in his presence, in glory, forever. Then he says in verse number 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. Um, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So now he's realigned his heart. And like Enoch, you will walk with God and then someday you won't be here on earth. You'll be in God's presence just like Enoch was in the scripture story. And, and he says, my relationship with God is enough. I'm going home with him. Uh, Mary Smith was a member of our church here. Gary and Alice ministered greatly to Mary. And Mary had some struggles. Um, she had some, some mental uh, illness that made life a little more difficult for her. And she was going through some really hard times and I was encouraging her. We would talk on the phone regularly and she would talk with Alice regularly and we were trying to encourage Mary because she was a little despondent for some of the difficulties she was going through. And then one day she called me on the phone and she said, sounded a little bit like Aesop, I have been so stupid. Her words, not mine. See, I have been so dumb. I kept thinking God doesn't love me because he's allowing me to go through this painful stuff. And she said, I've been fussing and fretting and worrying and I've been calling you and I've been calling Alice and I've just been getting more discouraged and more frustrated. And she said, and then it dawned on me. If the only thing Jesus ever did for me was die on the cross to pay for my sins, that was enough. That's what Mary said. That was enough. You know, and we can say that with Asaph, and we can say that with Mary. That was enough. I'm going to be in his presence. My sins are forgiven. I have an eternal home, eternal hope. Praise God. I know where I'm going. And so then in verse 26, he says, uh, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My spiritual health is vastly more important than my physical comfort vastly more important than my physical comfort. And so he says, I will be with you and you will guide me and you will take care of me. And he says, I don't have anybody but you, but you are enough. So now when his flesh and heart fail, God is the strength of his heart and his portion forever. Some of you really had a difficult road the last year, the last couple of years. And you know, some days you're really down and it's okay to be emotionally down 
it, it just we shouldn't stay there too long. We should focus on God. We should turn our attention to Him. We should look forward to Him. Now, some people need medication to overcome depression. Some people just need to change their activities and their thoughts to get over minor depression. Uh, uh, but some people need medication because the brain's not firing the way that it should and the medication really helps. I'm taking a medicine for my heart and my heart has been doing phenomenally well since I got on that medicine. My Apple Watch tells me so. Uh, and so uh, the stats are all really good right now. They were terrible a couple months ago and they're all great right now. Uh, but Asaph said, listen, God's in control. God's working. My flesh and my heart will fail, but God is the strength of my heart forever. So what you need to do in those times when you're really down and discouraged, go to God. Spend time with Him. You can listen to great Christian music. You can listen to scripture or read scripture. Just go to God. That's the place to go. Then in verse 27, he says, For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. There are people who desert God instead of being faithful to God. They wander away from God, and they're going to suffer because of it. And he says in verse 28, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. So he talks about his personal trust. I choose to trust you. But then he also talks about his public trust. I'm going to share with other people how great it is to follow God. I'm going to share with other people. So it's good for me to draw near to God. Truly, God is good to those who trust and follow him, he said in verse 1. So don't just look around. Look ahead. And sometimes, like in this picture on the screen, you're going to be in the middle of a crowd of people and you can look to God and you can find the way. And sometimes you'll be all on your own. And guess what? You can look ahead and trust God when you're all on your own and you can't see anybody else. There's nobody in this picture but the person who's looking ahead. Your life on earth will end. And those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior will go to heaven. Those who have been faithful to follow Christ, to follow the Lord, will be rewarded for their labors. And the painful and discouraging events on earth will be left behind forever and eventually forgotten. Unless you have a freakish memory, you don't remember all the things that have frustrated you this year. You can remember a few, you know, the certain ones will stand out, that particularly obnoxious person, that'll stand out, especially if you're sitting next to them today, don't think about it, okay? So that, but, but you will have some, the painful and discouraging events, you've already forgotten some of them. And someday you're going to move beyond all of them. So you can trust Him. You can follow Him. Join Asaph in saying, it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God. And then declare God's words like Asaph did so that other people can also trust and follow Him. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. 
You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.